moving up and down again. There's no discharge in the war. I have March 6. We can hell and certify it is not fire, devil's dock, or anything but boots, 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 moving up and down again. There's no discharge in the war. Try, 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 try to think of something different. Oh, my God, keep me from going lunatic. Boots, boots. shack and honestly i mean we're not professionals here we just kind of wing it and we just kind of hope it sticks <laughs> but for this episode i have Excellent. mark muerto from los muertos and he has he's this really really great history with the military music punk roots 
How'd you even get into punk? How'd you even find the whole punk scene? So first, let me take a moment to thank you for having me because I am a longtime listener of The Shack and I love the work oh. that you've done. I'm honored. So, well, not, not not as much as I am, I assure you. But the way that I got into punk rock was, um, you know, as as uh, as the article kind of describes, I came from a music loving family, and you know, my my parents listened to oldies and and soul and Motown and stuff like that. And when you know, when you get older, you kind of come to that point where you gotta branch out on your own and find your own music. And uh, in my adolescent years, I grew up in the in the '90s. And so, you know, around 1994, I was sitting in junior high and I was kind of looking around for what I liked. And, you know, obviously MTV had like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden around that time. And then I saw a Green Day video, I thought they were great. I saw a Rancid video, I thought they were amazing. And that kind of led me down a uh, sort of, um, you know, Pandora's box of punk rock. Cause then I, through them, I found the Ramones uh, through the Ramones, I found Sex Pistols, but then Rancid led me to Op Ivy and, you know, kind of further and further down the rabbit hole until I was listening to like hardcore Oi and political punk like Crass and Discharge. And then in high school, I was, you know, very much interested in, in politics and social issues. And that's exactly what these guys were talking about. So, you know, they kind of fed into each other because I would be interested in the social issues that they were talking about. And then I ended up becoming captain of my debate team. And so they kind of like fueled, these interests fueled each other. And I liked that, you know, if you listen to punk rock, you were a punk rocker. Like that was a part of your your identity and a part of kind of how you live. You live by an ideology. You know, Ralph Nader was my hero. I thought that guy was so punk rock. I, I liked that you could live through an ideology. So yeah, because of because of my interest in music and because of my interest in social issues, the two kind of met up and, and fed each other, and that that's how I that's how I kind of came a became a punk rocker. It's funny that you say that because I did want to mention the the heavy political side of punk, and you know, like you said, debate team, and then later down the line, you ended up joining the military, and how they fed into one another, but they also conflict with one another because the whole like anarchy, no system, you know, you know, fuck capitalism. How did that work out for you, or how did you marry the two? So it's, it's, it's interesting you ask that because that's exactly what my friends and family thought and said. They were just like, this guy's not gonna make it. He has a problem with authority. You know, because I was very outspoken. Like, I would like hand out political flyers at school. I would always end up in the principal's office for, you know, for whatever. And, you know, one of the things that I did in debate was this event called extemporaneous speaking, where you had to make this like five minute speech and mine were always about political and social issues. And, and some of the things that I talked about, they were like, wow, like this is a child essentially talking, maybe, maybe this isn't age appropriate, but that's just what I, I felt. But yeah, so so you know, because I was so outspoken and I was very much against a lot of what the government policies were, I was very critical, I was openly critical, but you know, I, I came from a military family. So to me, it just made sense that that's what I was gonna do, that I was eventually going to enlist. When I was around 16 or 17, uh, this movie came out called SLC Punk, and I know I know you're, you've you've seen it, but but it, it really spoke to me because in in so many ways that that film felt like my life story to the degree that actually like in the film his best friend who introduces him to punk rock died, and that's exactly what had happened to me. 
when I was 16, my best friend who introduced me to punk rock actually died. And then that film came out shortly after. I was like, oh my God, this, like, this is exactly like my life story. But in the end, what the lesson they learned is that you can do more damage from within the system than you can from outside the system. And so when I joined the military, while well, even though all my friends and family were saying he's not gonna make it because he has a problem with authority, to me, I said, no, there's probably really big problems within that system. And I'm probably the kind of person that can be outspoken and, and try my best to change it from the inside. Granted, I did not, <laughs> I didn't revolutionize the military from the inside or anything, but I still feel that wherever I went, I tried my best to make a difference. And I think in my own small way, I felt satisfied in that I at least shared ideas that maybe some of those personnel may not have otherwise been exposed to. And it, it definitely, my questioning attitude definitely served me in the military. I, I can give, I can think of one specific instance. There's a, quite a few, but I did one, the one that comes to the top of my head was we were um, we were in the shipyard. So I, I used to be on these these boats that are called uh, landing craft utilities. They would, they would stab the beach and then a ramp would drop, and you know the Marines would go running out the beach, right? Well, when we would repair these boats, they had to put them up on this giant stand and you had to climb up these stairs to go to the top of the boat, repairing the boat. And my, my supervisor, they're called an LPO, leading petty officer, he comes to me and says, hey, we need to take off all of the firefighting equipment, all the, all the you know, CO2 canisters and, and move them all the way down to the bottom of the stairs and load them up into a conics box. And everyone on that, on that boat, just unquestionably, just started getting to work, started taking all this stuff apart, getting ready to carry all this heavy stuff down there. And these aren't little, like little CO2 cans. These are like 50 pound, three foot tall CO2 cans um, to, to extinguish fires. And I stopped and thought for a minute. And he's like, what are you doing? What I told I told you what I need you to do. Why aren't you doing it? And I was like, well, hold on, let's, let's, let's think about this. And he goes, are you questioning me? And I said, yes, dude. I was like, I'm not gonna fucking do that until I think about this. And I ended the whole thing by asking him one question. I said, is the Connex box locked? And he paused for a, for a second and he said, let me go ask. And so everyone's like, like, yeah, that's a good point. We, we didn't even ask if the Connex box was locked. I was like, yeah. And if it's, if it is locked, do we have the key to it? And you know, is this a good idea? So he ends up coming back and he's like, yeah, um, I don't have a, I don't have a key to that Connex box. We would have all carried down all that equipment down to the bottom of the ground, which is like three stories to meet a Connex box that was locked and we wouldn't have been able to even use it. But because I questioned him because I was a little Still a little punk rocker at heart. I saved a bunch of people a lot of sweat and tears, and and I was that was my my hero of the day moment. That was one of my prouder moments in the Navy.
actually wrote, I mean, within this like wonderful piece that you sent me that I absolutely adored while reading, you have, you're a natural writer, by the way. I took a quote from what you wrote and it goes, what they didn't realize, nor did I at the time, was that my rebellious and questioning nature would be one of my greatest assets to me in the service and that my love of music would lead me to connections and experiences I would never dreamed of. And that one line alone is something that I think just summarizes you, your military career and your music career and how those two melded into one and created Mark Muerto. So you always like held on to that punk attitude of, you know, question authority, um, almost like a fuck you attitude. Like, let me kind of do it on my own terms or kind of Big see time. what your reasoning is. And then the second part of that quote that I really enjoyed is that your love of music led you to connections and experiences, and especially with connections and experiences within the military, because you note that you've gone to Chicago, you've played the Beatles on piano and sang harmonies with the Navy diver. And then in Mississippi, you played heavy metal with a kid from Florida. And I think those little moments are so magical. I mean, do you want to kind of explore a bit more on that? Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, I think that music is a is a universal language because no matter where you go, everyone loves it. Everyone wants to either express it or has some hidden desire to express it or at least just listen to it and enjoy it. And, you know, the ability to, to play music was kind of my ticket. It was kind of my world tour ticket because everywhere I went, I could always find someone where I either we both enjoyed music or, you know, like I said in the article, a lot of these military bases I was at, they have music recreation rooms, which is amazing. I love that they do that because I would meet all kinds of people. All I had to do was go in, in, the, rec in the recreation room, go pick up a guitar, and within at least half an hour, someone would roll in and then I'd have a new friend right away. One of the best friends that I ever met in, in the Navy was uh, a, a guy named Cole. I don't want to give away his whole name because he's actually in like Army PSYOPs or something now. He, he followed an interesting path, but he, he and I were search and rescue swimmers together. And we're, when we're going through the training, we're, we're they're making us do this thing called 50 meter underwater swims, which are terrible. You have to hold your breath, swim down to the bottom of the pool, touch the bottom of the pool, and then swim 50 meters with on one breath. Not fun, it gets very painful. And so we're all sitting there at the, holding the edge of the pool. Everyone's nervous, you know, people are like shaking, you know, because people pass out during these evolutions. So everyone's like quiet, everyone's shaking. And this kid, I, you know, I call him a kid, he's my age, but it's a long time ago. But he, he turns to me in the midst of the, si of the silence, and he says, what are you thinking about? And and in that moment, I gave him a, a pure, my pure, honest answer. I said, well, I was kind of thinking about what would it sound like if like the Misfits covered a Johnny Cash song, but if they played it kind of like like the Templars. And he paused for a second and then he said, you and I are going to be really good friends. And sure as shit, that guy is still one of my best friends. He and I played in a band together for a while. It turned out he was a really good drummer. He grew up in Atlanta playing punk rock. He used to sleep on the anti-heroes couch. He crashed uh, a backstage uh, or he crashed the backstage of a rancid show and drank all their beer. Oh God, I, I love this guy. Yeah, he, he, he ended up going through like Marine recon training and then now he's in the army and he's doing like secret squirrel stuff so really really interesting people so yeah you meet interesting people like that and then you know wherever i went if i had a chance to perform somewhere i would i, I was in um my la my final deployment i was in the middle east it's on this 
tiny island kingdom called Bahrain. It's actually very Western, very Western place uh, because the British conquered it back in like the 18th century or something. And so everywhere you went, they had these little pubs, these like British pubs. And, you know, obviously there's no alcohol, there's no pork, it's, it's still Middle Eastern, but the, you know, Westerners try to make these little pockets of, of sanctuary for themselves. And so they always have music in there. They always have a band everywhere you went. And a lot of times these people were hired from different countries around the world. I met these like these Ukrainian rock band in a in an Irish pub and I walked up to them and I said, Hey, can I can I join you guys on stage? And they were like, Yeah, absolutely. Come up. Come up and sing with us. So, you know, like everywhere every country I went to, I try to find an opportunity to perform.
And my, my favorite one is, is, is mentioned in the article. I was in Mexico and my captain asked me, he knew I played music and he said, call me by my last name, Deanda. He said, Deanda, I want you to, I want you to perform for us. And we're having a big party tonight. We're going to have all these admirals over from the Mexican Navy. And I know you play music and I really want you to come up. So I put on my, my finest dress uniform. I had the little Dixie cup hat, the little, you know, Aww. little bowl looking hat. And I went out there with a guitar and amp and a microphone, and I, I just started playing music. I started playing like old jazz tunes and stuff. And then, you know, drunken sailors, they start getting loud and rowdy and they start asking for requests. So I just started, you know, doing my little party trick of busting out whatever song they named. And then by the end of it, you know, people were singing along. And then it came this, you know, out, out came this uh, Admiral, this four star Admiral, and he's wearing his full dress uniform. And he came up and he sang My Girl with me in perfect English. And this guy, come to find out, did not speak a single word of English otherwise. But he knew every word of that song. Music really is a universal language. No matter what language you speak, whatever whatever language you grew up with, everyone connects with music. And, and music is a way to connect with, with everyone. I'm so glad that you mentioned that moment in the story because, like how you said, I wholeheartedly agree that music it really is a universal language like I listen to music where I don't know what they're saying but I like the drums or you know I'll kind of google the lyrics sometimes but it's interesting because a lot of my family members how they learned English was through music That's where amazing. sometimes they would randomly get a record and they're just like well let's play it and they liked it and they would just like pick up words here and there like I remember my uncle really liked the Beatles do you think maybe that's a part of your love of music is that maybe they were they were using that to connect to the English language? I don't know. I mean, it definitely influenced me personally because growing up, it was listening to a lot of 101.1, so a bunch of oldies on the radio yeah. station. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, I remember always playing with the radio in our minivan and then like discovering 106.7, like K-Rock. And then I was like, yeah. okay, cool. Like this is <laughs> this aligns a little bit more with my anger issues. And then it was just a lot of research from there, going to the library and like looking up bands or... My sister was a huge influence too, Judy. She introduced me to the Buzzcocks, to AFI, to the Ramones and so much more. So well, much like you, like I had my parents introduce me to oldies, but then they also taught me like rancheras and corridos and all that. That's amazing. But then it was also through playing with the radio, my time at the library, and my older sister who really shaped my musical taste as I got older. So then this is where I'm kind of curious. You, This is you looking back and reflecting on your punk roots and, and your military career. So I'm curious about how you see it in the future, especially with how music is changing due to the pandemic. So I mean, where do you see your future and where do you see the future of music? That's a big question. That's, a, that's, a, that's certainly a lot to pack, I'll attempt to tackle that. Uh, but first, uh, I want to mention, I think it's pretty interesting that the Ramones were in fact correct that Judy is a punk when your sister. <laughs> and also, also, I appreciate that you're a nerd like me and you spent all your time growing up in the library. So check this out. So when I first got into the Ramones, I actually, you know, it was it was 1996 and, they, you know, I, you couldn't go to the 
they had, in order to buy music, you had to go to the mall or, or Best Buy or something like that. So I, my, because I was a military from a military family, we moved around a lot. And in in the in the mid '90s, we actually moved from California, from San Bernardino, where I'm from. We actually moved to Texas, and we lived out in the boondocks. We lived out in nothingness. It was like cows everywhere. And in fact, that's part of why I started playing music was because you know out where I was, you either got into sports or you got into drugs, and I wasn't into either at the time. So I played guitar every night. But it's interesting because I actually went to my school library uh, in sixth grade and looked up in the encyclopedia. I was looking for the Ramones, couldn't find anything. I looked up Blitzkrieg Bop. Instead, I found Blitzkrieg Battle. And I thought, oh, that's cool. That's interesting, which led me to opening up a World War II book, which led me to end opening up this book with like like um, World War II history and uniforms and, and pinup magazines and stuff like that. And so it was kind of interesting that my interest in punk rock actually brought me full circle to an interest in the military and military history. But uh, to, to answer your question, my personal future with, with music, as far as the pandemic goes, well, you know, I should probably use this opportunity to, to plug my band. No, go I'm, for yeah, it. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a rockabilly and punk rock band called Los Muertos, hence the name, uh, Mark Muerto. We have not been playing any shows because of the pandemic we all agreed we said you know what it's because people are starting to play shows now now that things are starting to calm down but we all agreed we said you know what it's not fun to do shows as long as there's social distancing mandates as long as there's mask mandates and and really it's not worth the labor for us at this point because you know all the clubs are like oh we're at limited capacity so we can't pay you as much it's just not you know we, we agreed we're not going to do that until all that ends so we do have an album though if you search on spotify itunes whatever whatever your, your platform of choice, look up uh, Los Muertos Into the Darkness. And that's our first album. Pretty great but, album. Well, thank you. Uh, and you and our wonderful and lovely Napalm Nanny is actually featured on the album. She uh, she performs a, a um, she's okay, the radio. Well, and let people look for it. Let people tune in <laughs> and hear it out. Don't give away too much. <laughs> see, see if you guys can find her voice in the album. Uh, <laughs> if you can, message me and you win Napalm bucks. Woo! They're worth nothing but you can <laughs> actually, have that pride that you have it actually they are worth something because they they hold value to the the listener and to the the beholder of the books
die, gonna die, gonna die for your government. Die for your country, that shit. You gotta die, gonna die, gonna die for your government. Die for your country, that shit. On a side note, I'm playing this fun game called um, Bigger Better, where you take something and then you you trade up for something else. I started off with a pen that I found on the ground, and now I'm up to this like tactical seatbelt cutter. It's like a $30 seatbelt cutter. So yeah, if anyone wants to trade a seatbelt cutter with me, let me know. Um, I really hope I get a message for that. Like I want to see what you trade that seatbelt cutter for, and I'm kind of start that game too to see what I can. It's, it's very fun. So I, I was inspired, obviously, by Kyle McDonald, who started off with a red paper clip and ended up trading up to a house. But he had, he, he had the assistance of like radio shows who were interested in what he was doing and, you know, the power of the Internet. I just want to do it like with people I run into or like if, if someone, you know, DMs me on Instagram or something like that, then I'll, I'll trade up and see what, how far I can get. We'll see how far I get in a year. And then from there, I'll see if I want to take it from there. But to, to get back to your question, though, uh, I don't know, to be honest with you. I'm thinking about doing some uh, my old solo stuff. I used to be a touring jazz musician in Austin, Texas. I worked in uh, Willie Nelson's recording studio as an engineer with my brother. He still works there as as, the, as an audio engineer. Nice. Um, but I made a living playing jazz and doing solo stuff. And um, you know, I love I love playing with Los Muertos. Obviously, I love the guys. But I think I would also like to do some of my my solo work in addition to that. So for me personally, my future with music, I think I'm going to start branching out into uh, putting out some more more solo stuff. Maybe go back to some of the jazz and or maybe the singer songwriter stuff that I used to do in Austin. Uh, as far as the big picture goes of future music. That's a tough one. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't know what post-apocalyptic, you know, post-COVID quarantine is going to look like. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of really amazing stuff coming out. Because think about all the people that were creating during quarantine. I think maybe we'll have like a little mini renaissance because, yeah, some good stuff has come out since you know, in, in that time, but mostly from like the bigger acts and bigger names, but all the, uh, all the bedroom musicians that have been out there and just been producing in quarantine. I think, I think within like the year or maybe by next year, we're going to see a lot of really, really amazing stuff, you know, cream rises. So, you know, maybe a lot of this stuff is already out there, you know, maybe it's some of this like a diamond in the rough and we're just going to be, you know, just catching on to it maybe in like a year or so. So yeah, I think, I think, um, I think we're going to see some pretty good stuff from, you know, as a result of quarantine in the future. No, I definitely appreciate the optimism and it, it feels good because for the most part, it's a little scary and a little shaky because the future is so uncertain, but that optimism is like such a breath of fresh air. So thank you. I'm definitely an optimist. Absolutely. At my core, no matter how, how bad I, I, I feel about something, no matter how bad it gets, I try to focus on the, on the positive, you know, there's always a silver lining, you know, kind of my, my mom's attitude, I guess, about it is, is there's always, there's always a sunshine after the rain. Oh. So yeah, for you and, and all your listeners, I hope that um, whatever you guys have going on, I hope that you guys can see the sunshine after the rain. And then I do have to mention, in the piece that you wrote, 
I have to ask, you apparently had people tell you that you're gonna sing people to death in the military. Did you? As your friend, you have to tell me, did you sing anyone to death? <laughs> no, not as of yet. It is not, my, my voice is not as of yet a lethal weapon. It's not too late. You know, I don't know, maybe. So actually it's interesting that you mentioned that we have a, we do have a weaponized sound device actually. Uh, so I, I'm actually now a, um, a civilian contractor. Now that I'm out of the military, I'm a civilian contractor and I train uh, uh, within the expeditionary warfare community. I'm a weapons instructor and, and a uh, security instructor. And we do have this, this piece of equipment. I won't go into too much detail about it, but essentially it's a loud amplifier. It is so loud. Like you, you like, this is, this is for like, I guess it's, it's considered a, a non-lethal weapon, but it's basically a big speaker and whatever you put into it, you can put music, you can use a microphone and this thing is loud as hell. And yeah, you could, you could really burst someone's eardrums with this thing. Testing it out at the end of last year and we're pointing it, piece of land there, there's, there's an estuary there, there's no one out there. And so that's the best place to point it. So we're pointing it out there and I started singing Frank Sinatra into it. So, you know, had anyone been next to it? Yeah, I think I could have really hurt someone. I did not sing anyone to death, but possibility certain there. One last thing before, you know, we kind of wrap up the episode. I thought it was interesting that in the piece that you wrote, you wrote about boots in particular, how boots are used in the military and how boots are used in the punk scene. So how one article of clothing, I'm a sucker for clothes, like in just fashion in general. So I'm just like, yes, this. Let, let's talk about this. It serves uh, a function. So it's a statement, yeah, it's function, but it's also a statement. And it's interesting that that's something that you drew a lot of attention to from the beginning to the end, even in the title, Boots and Bandoliers. So your two cents. One of the things that actually was really attractive about punk rock was that it had a fashion and identity to it. You know, and just like in the film SLC Punk, you know, she kind of calls it the, you know, his love interest kind of calls him out at, uh, towards the end of the movie where, you know, he says, you know, something about you, you don't like me because I, I look silly. I have colored hair and ripped up clothes. And she says, rebellion is something that happens in the mind. You know, what you're doing is a fashion statement. Yeah, sure, it is a fashion statement, but I felt like it is also an expression of one's identity. And so, yeah, when you saw when you saw someone who was dressed up like a punk rocker, right, right away, you know that this is probably someone who holds rebellious ideals, or maybe they, you know, maybe they're that's how they're expressing their discontent either within their personal life, their discontent with society, or maybe both, maybe all of the above. And so, yeah, it was kind of ironic that I went from wearing combat boots as a punk rocker and playing in punk bands and stuff like that. Actually, it's funny, my first job ever actually was 14 years old playing in a punk rock club. I was playing in a place called Wacky's Deli. And I remember thinking like, man, everyone's looking at me because I'm, you know, because I got big spiky hair and, and ripped up clothes. And now I realize it's because I was 14 years old in a bar, you know, that's that's why everyone was, was looking at me. But yeah, it, it's, it's kind of ironic that when I went off to boot camp and they issued me my first combat boots and I thought to myself, like, this is not much of a difference, you know, not much of a change. But then when I started having to spit shine them for hours on end to, until they became mirrors, then I realized that this was a, a sort of a interesting transition. And it was almost like I was the boot, you know, like uh, here I was this dirty, worn out chain smoker and, and definitely borderline alcoholic, if not actual alcoholic and then um, when I decided to enlist I, I changed everything about myself I started reading more positive books and I, I started exercising daily and changing what I ate because I had a 
goal and a vision of mine. And so when I had to shine those boots every day, you know, and put the work into to making it better, making it look better, making it look nice and maintain them and keep them clean for inspection because someone was holding me accountable to the way that they looked, felt like a really poignant expression of what had just happened in my life. By joining the military, I sort of turned myself into a, a pair of dirty, ragged boots, into a pair of, well, at least shinier boots. <laughs> I was definitely happier with myself afterwards. I tell people all the time that, um, you know, joining the military was the best decision that I ever made, but getting out was certainly the best, second best decision that I ever made in my life. Yeah, I still still wear combo boots to this day, but as I say in the article, yeah, they're certainly a lot, a lot cleaner, much shinier than they used to. Oh, I love that. I am so grateful that you decided to do the episode with me. You are such a pleasure to talk to every single time. Like you are just full of all these amazing insights, the the books that you can quote or that you can reference, the music. It's something that I admire. So thank you so much for like joining me on The Shack. Once again, Mark Muerto, if you guys want to listen to Los Muertos, I will be linking all the music. So yeah enjoy yeah thanks for having me and it's, it's been an honor i'm a big fan for those of you who uh, are fans of of uh the shack um you got you got to find her on on instagram because in addition to being a lovely woman on the inside she's a very lovely woman on the outside i highly recommend checking out her gram what, what's your what's your gram uh napalm nanny in the shack napalm nanny in the shack all right and mine is at uh the sea wolf that's t-h-e underscore s-e-a-w-o-l-f from uh, jack london's the sea wolf but yeah if you, if you, if you guys uh, you guys listening feel free to shoot me a dm i always love starting up conversations and meeting new new and interesting people and, and also yeah, i'm gonna trade up for a seat yeah, someone someone trade a seatbelt cutter with me or hopefully by then i've already got something bigger and better than that to so trade up with me but nasty the um, the admiration is mutual I, I i always i always appreciate talking with you so thanks for having me